All right. Hey, the countdown worked for two weeks. I was so pumped. The countdown got people in here. That's all it worked for, those two weeks. So uh, in the future, look out for the countdown. You guys are rebellious in relationships. It's good. Uh, you want to be out there talking to each other, eating more bagels. That's all good. We, we're not hating on that. So uh, glad you are here. Um, something about me is, and that most of you know, is that I'm super cheap. Um, I call it frugal and amazing stewardship. Everybody else calls it, your boy is cheap. That's what they call it. So, um, and, and it goes to new levels. Like when I told, I told a couple people here, when I go to shop, I don't go to shop, I go to win. Anybody like me? Maybe, maybe some of you like me. I don't go to shop, I go to win. I go for actually three reasons. There, there's like these outlets by my in-laws and, and so we'll drop the kids off at my in-laws and then, and then go because they're the closest thing. Uh, so I go to hold hands with my wife. I go to dance in, in the Adidas outlet and embarrass her while she, no, stop, babe, babe, stop, stop, stop. And I just keep going. Like, those are the two reasons I go. And then the third reason is I go to win. So the other day, I actually went to the Adidas outlet and got a pair of joggers for five doolers. Five doolers. Five dollar joggers. I felt like I walked up in, like, Adidas corporate. <laughs> and, like, LeBron James, like I was, I felt like I just conquered the world. I don't go to shop, I go to win. And it's because really deep down in my soul, I am super cheap. And so when, when my wife needs to get me to buy a necessary purchase, let me just, that's, that's the label of it. It's necessary. Like she, she's, not, she's not someone who just goes and, and buys things. She needs to get me to buy a necessary purchase. She'll, she'll do this methodically. She got a plan, okay? So if we're talking about a house, uh, we came from Michigan where they're, they're set up to do that sort of thing. Here you got to sell a limb or something to get a house. There you just you could, you could probably afford it if you had a double income household. and you, you could afford a house in Michigan if you worked at, I don't know, Starbucks. I mean, Starbucks pays great actually. So you could, but you could afford a house. I mean, it was an amazing setup. So, so she needed to, to move us from one small house to the next. We were having our third kid. She wanted to get us from one to the next. And so she, here, here's how she went about it. On Monday she's like, look at the Smiths. I'm just making up a name. The Smiths got a house. In, in North Muskegon over here for this price. I'm like, oh, that's nice. That's nice. Wednesday, she sent me the listing of their, here, here's what they got it for. I'm like, oh, that's nice. Friday, she's like, this house would be good for us. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What, like, what happened there? When did it shift? When did it become we're buying uh, thousands of dollars worth of merchandise? What, like, what, when did it, it transform there? And she really knows me. Like We've been married for almost 10 years now. So she knows my heart. And so she started to really work it in. She's like, okay, this is the house of a contractor. A contractor owns this house. All right? And he built a lot of things on this house. I'm like, that's pretty good. The contractor goes to our friend's church. I'm like, oh, he loves Jesus? Wow, this is, he's on the elder board. He's a leader in the church? She's like, I want to tell you the name of the contractor's business. I'm like, please do. She's like, Integrity Builders. I'm like, come on. <laughs> like, this house has to be immaculate, right? It's built with integrity because it's in the name. He's on the leadership team, so he has to love God, right? I mean, he has to have integrity. So I'm working through all these things, and we finally go to see this house. And it's a great house. It is a great house. We lived there for actually three years. Um, but when you go in this house... The first thing you think is, a contractor owns this house? Because I don't, I don't have a great eye, but I got a good enough eye to know that molding needs a little bit of work. Just a little bit of work from, I don't know, a contractor? You know, there's a hole in the wall downstairs. A kid obviously put a bat through it or something. The contractor, you would think, knows how to patch 
sand and paint, right? He's a contractor, so you figured the hole in the wall would be all right, right? And, and then, I, you know, I'm looking around the house. Garages are important in Michigan because you can fit stuff in there, including cars. And I'm looking around like, this could use a little bit of work, right? It's, it's a beautiful space. It could just use a contractor. And I started to get frustrated, like, how come the contractor's house doesn't look like a contractor's house? And then I went down the rabbit hole. Because for me, I'm like, it's safe to assume that this dude has his house in order if he's out getting everybody else's house in order. That's safe to assume that. So I go down the rabbit hole and I start thinking, you know what? After a long day of building things, he don't want to come home and build something. Right? A masseuse doesn't want to come home and give the whole family massages. If you're a barista, you don't want to come out home and pour out the pour over you know, paraphernalia and start doing stuff and making the perfect cup of coffee. You just did that all day. You don't want to do that anymore. And then that got me thinking, This again, this is where my brain goes, that got me thinking, like, it's actually easier to work on everybody else's house. It's actually easier to focus on everybody else's problems, on their lawn, on their shower head, on their garage door. It's actually easier to work, and, and it's harder to work on your own. And if you think we're talking about houses anymore, we're not, we're not talking about houses anymore. But there's actually more glory in working on everybody else. People like you more when you're working, when you're concentrating, when you're helping, when you're praying for everybody else. It's really hard to get your own house in order. Uh, today we're going to be in Mark 129. Mark 129. If you're brand new, we're going verse by verse through the entire gospel according to Mark. And Jesus in Mark 129 continues to heal people, cast out demons, you know, do Jesus stuff. And he's exposing this idea uh, this morning, and, and let's, let's pray and then get into the scriptures, but today's message is entitled, Get Your House in Order. Get Your House in Order. Because, again, it's, it's easy to focus on everybody else's comment, everybody else's hashtag, everybody else's relationship, everybody else's marriage. It's easy to focus on everybody else's reading the Bible life, everybody else's prayer life. It's easy to focus on everybody else's soul, but, but what's really hard is to look inward and focus on your, your own. So, uh, today's message is entitled, Get Your House in Order. Look at a neighbor and tell him, Get Your House in Order. Goodness. Guys, this one has a little bit of an attitude. It's spelled G-I-T-Y-A. So tell him, Get Your House in Order. There you go. You can cross them up, too, if you need to. Cross them up. Get Your House in Order. Uh, let's pray. Let's pray. God, we, we welcome you here today. Um, we welcome you into our own soul. Uh, we take our eyes off of everybody else. And we focus on what's going on inwardly. We focus on us. And we know that our house is not in order. And so we're praying for you to impact us this morning in a way we've never been impacted. As we take our eyes off of what everybody else calls us, what everybody else says we are, what we think everybody should be doing, and we get our eyes focused on, God, who did you make me? How did you make me? And what are the issues in my own house? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get to it. Mark 129. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon is Peter, by the way, and Andrew, with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law, uh, this woman deserves a name. I, we, we still, I looked for her name all over the place. This woman does not have a, a, a name in the scriptures, and, and she should because she has an amazing day. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Kind of, kind of an amazing story. Uh, we've been joking for weeks about how many times Mark uses the word immediately, right? 
two times last week, two times this week. Uh, he uses the word immediately. And actually, we have good reason to believe that he actually is you know, putting, putting the proof in the pudding here. Okay, I'm, I'm going to show you some pictures. Uh, the first picture goes like this. Uh, we actually had someone do some research. I sent Pastor Pedro all the way to Capernaum where this happens. Uh, to get some pictures. No, he was there for something else, and this is actually the ruins of what they believe is uh, Peter's mother-in-law's house. Okay, they they found uh, artifacts. They even found fishing hooks, which is what Peter was, Uh, and they strongly believe uh, that this is uh, Peter's mother-in-law's house. Uh, She actually had a a pretty decent-sized house. Most of us think that Peter was poor, but that's Probably not the case. This is a decent-sized house. If you were good at fishing, you were good at getting money, right? So, so Peter has a decent-sized house. This is just one part of it. And I'm going to show you the next picture because the next picture shows us the ruins of the temple. Last week, we, we showed a picture of the temple, what we believe is the third-century temple that was built over the first-century temple. So it's the same plot of land. And so th- this is actually looking from the house to the temple. That's the short walk. That's 100 foot. 200 feet, that's, not, that's, that's barely a block. So, so when, Peter sa- or when Mark says immediately, he means immediately. Jesus casts out a demon, preaches, and then walks to this house. Now, that's a long day. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's a long day. You preach spiritual warfare, like you're casting out demons, you're making sure the demon doesn't go to the wrong place, make sure the demon goes to the right place. That's a long day. Like for me, we used, to, we used to have three services in Michigan. I used, to, I used to not even want to see someone's face after that. If someone called me, they were just calling to say, hey, maybe, maybe a nice sermon, or you want to have some dinner this week? I'm like, why are you calling me? And I, and I just I'd hang up on them. Like, why are you so mad, Pastor? Relax. This is a long day for Jesus. And so he gets here, and Peter and Andrew, they're vulnerable enough to say, my mom needs help. She has a fever. Will you enter my house? Will you enter my life? Now, let's soak this all in. Uh, Fever typically means death. Uh, If you've ever read about King David's life, uh, his account says that David could not get warm. Translation, dude had a fever, no Tylenol PM, right? At least that's what I think. Fever typically meant death. On top of that, it was known in the ancient world, or it was thought, at least, in the ancient world, that if you had a fever, it was spiritual. That's where the heat came from. It was spiritual, and only God could heal it. So this woman really believes that she's going to die, probably. And let me drop this bomb. It's not easy for Peter to say, Jesus, please, please heal my house. Think about it. This is why I became a pastor. Because I love focusing on everybody else's problem, right? One of my, one of my inward, poor motivations. I love, because there's always going to be people with problems. It's like nursing. People are always going to be sick. You're always going to have a job. Same with pastoring. People are always going to be sick. You're always going to have a job. I love to focus on everybody else's problem. In today's culture, it's very easy to focus on everybody else's problem. You're online. You're like, I can't believe she bought that. I can't believe he's with her still. I can't believe their marriage is still going down like that, and she's going to be all up online talking about it. This is what we do, right? We look online, and we, we figure out how can we judge everybody else's household. It's very easy to focus on everybody else. It's not easy for Peter here to go, will you fix my mom? Will you heal my mom? I mean, just think about all the things that, that he could have said. Well, Jesus had a long day. Jesus preached a 74-point sermon. He, you know, he, he cast out a demon. Maybe I should ask him tomorrow. 
There's going to be hundreds of people at the doorstep in Capernaum, just verses later. Jesus is going to be healing all day. Peter's watched Jesus heal all over the place already. He's probably thinking to himself, I can't, I can't really ask him about my own mom. At least that's how I would be. Maybe you can hear those excuses in your own head. Maybe you're not focused on your own house. Maybe you say yes to everybody else, but you don't say yes to yourself. Maybe that's you. I know it's me. Now we have to ask ourselves, is that maybe a little bit ridiculous? Yeah. I'll spare you the illustration that we've all heard 300 times about when you're on a plane and it's going down, you put the mask on yourself before you put it on somebody else. We've all heard that, right? But let me say this. If you've been in the church for any amount of time, and if you haven't, we're so glad that you're here today. But if you've been in the church for a small amount of time, you've heard the shocking story of, of Jesus before he goes to the crucifixion. He's with his disciples. They're eating the last, before the Last Supper. And he gets down on his hands and knees. He gets a basin of water and a towel, and he starts to wash their feet. It's shocking. Not only because feet are just gnarly. Feet are just gnarly. Nobody likes feet. I don't even like clipping my own toenails. It's gross. Can someone do this for me? Right? It's the feet are gross, I think. And, and their feet are, are next level grody. They're next level because they, don't, they have sandals. There's no pavement. They're walking around in dirt all day. And Jesus gets down on his hands and knees. What's, what's even more shocking here is that the only way you got your feet washed is, is if you had a servant. You had a house slave. So the house slave would get down after the master comes home from a journey, and the house slave, in the most vulnerable position possible, washes the master's feet. The master here, Jesus, flips it and washes their feet. It's shocking. It's vulnerable. It's gross. What's even more shocking, or at least equally shocking, but never mentioned, is that Jesus says to Peter, if you don't let me do this, you have no part in me. If you don't open yourself up, if you don't get vulnerable, if you don't give me your tootsies, if you don't put them things out there dirty and all and be exactly who you are, dirty, in front of me, undone, if you don't do this, you don't understand me. You don't let me in. You need to roll out the red carpet of your vulnerability before me. If you really want to get your house in order, you have to become unraveled, undone. It's shocking. Um, the, the seasons of my deepest filling are also coinciding with the seasons of my deepest vulnerability. When I'm able to become undone before Jesus. Like if, we all want the filling of God, right? We all want the presence of God. We want God to just invade our lives. Uh, we want God to give us this life pivot that we're talking about later. We really want all of this, but really it coincides with your ability to be undone, to be vulnerable. And this area that we live in doesn't exactly welcome that. So we have to work extra hard to get alone with Jesus and, and just let it go. Cry it out. Be broken. Be undone. Be vulnerable. We have to, we have to let it happen. I mean, I've, I've been in that position before. We, we, as, a, as, a, as a church, um, we, we used, you know, in the school that I went to, we, we did this super holy thing where we washed each, other, each other's feet. I mean, it is... It is next level. Like, I realize we're trying to be super holy and we're trying to serve like Jesus. I get it. But the whole time I'm going, ha, ha, ha. It's equally vulnerable for each position. Just as vulnerable is the position of opening yourself up and saying, here I am, bare, undone. And most of the time our pride keeps us from that. Really, if you want all of Jesus, if you want all of the Spirit, if you want God to change your life, 
You have to get to that position and then make the ask. We have to stop singing these anthems. You know, I got this. I'm strong. Started from the bottom. Now we're here, right? We come up with all these anthems. My pain made me. I rise up. We just, we, this is what we do as a culture. I got this. These are, these are prideful anthems. These are prideful proclamations of the heart. And if you buy into it, you're never going to be unraveled before Jesus. You're never going to let yourself go. And he's never going to be able to enter into the deepest parts of your heart where you really want him, where you really desire him to be. So Peter lets himself be unraveled a little bit and says, will you heal my mom? I need you to heal my mom. And mom's response is so amazing. Mom's response is so radical. I, I would venture to say top, because Jesus heals all over the place. He casts out demons all over the place. I would venture to say top five responses, easy. This is how mom responds. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. Like Log that away first before we move on. Uh, she's been saved. She thinks she's most likely, she thinks she's going to die. She's like, I'm super hot. I can't, I, I can't get cold. And now I'm super cold and I can't get warm. It's probably the death of me. Jesus, no abracadabra, no snakes, uh, no rhymes. He just lifts her up. And what does she do? She serves him. Crazy. So the fever leaves him, or leaves her, and we get what we're going to call today a life pivot. Now, get it out. If you grew up watching Friends, I know you're all thinking, pivots, I know. Like, I could, I'm, I'm trying to write this sermon. I'm like, I don't, I won't, I need to get it out. It's like a sneeze, okay? Pivot, okay, we got it, all right. So this is what's called a life pivot because they're walking this way. She's walking this way. Jesus touches her life, and she goes this way. And what does she do with that life pivot? She began to serve. So good. I love the life pivot. I'm in the life pivot business. I believe in the life pivot God. I want that. I'm trying to think, how come we don't get this all the time? How can we only get this life pivot once, twice, three times? If, you, if you're really good at, at putting yourself before you, five times? I want this life pivot all the time. I want this life pivot in this room every single time that we gather in this room. I think the main reason that we don't get this life pivot that often is because we can't be trusted with it. This woman decides, okay, you've changed my life, I'm going to serve. What do we typically do? Someone give me a microphone. God changed my life. He loves me more than you. Let me get that book deal. Let me get a leadership platform. And that's what we do. We want a word. God, give me a word. But every time he gives you a word, you hashtag it. And it's true. Every time he gives you something, you want to you somehow turn it into fame. Somehow you want, you want word after word, because then you can always be that person with the word. Oh, let's go, let's go, to, uh, let's go to Ryan. He's always got a word. Ryan's always got a word. And this is why we want this. Because we want to flip it and turn it into fame. Maybe this is why we're not getting this life pivot in the way that we want this life pivot. I'm not saying testimony is bad. But bestimony is. You know what bestimony is? It's the money where at the end of the money, you're the best. You've seen this, right? Oh, I was healed. Um, you know, I had to pray and fast for, for two weeks. Uh, begging God to come and touch my life. Finally, he touched my life. Oh, well, who was, the, who was the hero in that story? I mean, there's a protagonist in every story. That's a bestimony, because at the end of the story, you're the best. At the end of the money, you're the hero. You got the cape on. Maybe this is why we don't get this life change that we want. 
Maybe we don't get this life change that we want, this life pivot, because we want the testimony without the humility. Come on, church, are you with me? We want the, te- we want the testimony, like we want the story, but we don't want the humility that comes along with it. And really, when there's life pivot, really when there's life change, it always comes with humility. We don't want that. We want to make Jesus famous, but at the same time, we want to be famous. Um, I, I don't think we're operating how Jesus wants us to operate. I think that Jesus wants us to live a life afraid of heights. You ever heard this before? Jesus wants us to live a life afraid of heights. Um, I, I personally had five pastoral heroes over the last decade. Five pastoral heroes. All of them famous. All of them have fallen. Every single one of them. Alcoholism, uh, sexuality, uh, pride, arrogance, you name it. Burnout and, into sin. Five heroes, guys that I watched, I looked up to, I'm like, I want to be like you. They're all famous and they've all fallen. Why? They weren't meant to be famous. Jesus is meant to be famous. Well, Justin, it's not their fault. God gave them that platform. Right? God, God gave them the, the platform to be up in front of people. It's not their fault that they're talented and gifted. Here's what might be their fault. They did not live life afraid of heights. They did not fight against it. They did not fight against the fame. They didn't fight, fight hard enough for humility. You ever heard of the Jesus ladder? This is the Jesus ladder. You probably didn't hear of it because I made it up on Thursday. This is a a life ladder, but it can be a Jesus life ladder if you go the correct way. So here's what happens with most of us. We'll start in the middle. Pray for me, because I'm actually afraid of heights. So this is really a deep and personal illustration. Okay? We'll start in the middle. What, What happens is God touches us. Like, we pray for it. It's miraculous. Everybody around us knows Everybody knows, uh, knows around us that, that God loved us enough to touch us, to change our lives, to do something inside of us. And so here's what we typically do. God, I'm not going to go up. Just picture me going up. Okay? <laughs> Some, someone, someone give me a microphone, please. Can someone please give me an opportunity because i got a story to tell. Put a camera on. I'll do it. We can use an iPhone. It doesn't need to be something crazy. But just put it on so that I can tell my story. Again, it's... Testimony's good, humble testimony's good, bestimony not so good. And we go upward. We just want more platform, more, this is what we want. When that's the wrong direction. Mom here, Jesus, life pivot, changes her life, what does she do? Well, let me serve. Let, let me, who, who wants soup? <laughs> I want some bread, I'll get you some bread. She, she's not yelling. She's not, she's not telling everybody, look, look at what she gets. And this is the direction of Jesus. Now, Jesus is up here, right? Jesus, top of the platform. King of kings, Lord of lords. He's the master. What does he do? I'm going to be homeless for three years. What does he do? I'm going I'm to wash my disciples' feet. What does he do? I'm going to die for my people. Do you understand that, that Jesus is telling us, live life afraid of heights? Live life afraid of heights. When God lifts you up, put yourself back down. Pray for humility. Put yourself behind the scenes. Pick up a dish and wash it. Pick up a vacuum and vacuum. 
When God does something in your life, when he gives you a life pivot, he doesn't want you to go upward with it. He wants you to go downward with it. I got some scriptures to match, James 4, James 4 6. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You heard it. He opposes the proud. Here's, here's another one. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up, James 4.10. I love Psalm 138. Though the Lord is high, he looks kindly on the lowly. God wants us to live a life afraid of heights. You want your house in order? You want life pivot? You want life change? Live a life afraid of heights. Show God that he can trust you. When I do something in their life, they're not trying to take credit. They're not trying to hashtag it. They're not trying to get a microphone in front. They just want to, they just want to serve. Jesus, after this long day, is officially sought after. Healings, preachings, casting out demons. Uh, the, the whole village knows, and so here's what goes on next. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Verse 33, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Whose door is that? It's theirs, it's Simon's, it's the mother's, right? And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Where are they gathering? They're gathering at the healing house now. Did y'all see what just happened? So, so this house is healed first, and then it becomes a healing house. And everybody's gathering at the door. One doesn't happen without... If, if, it's going to be real awkward if Jesus is out there healing everybody, but mom is still in here with a fever. No, he's got to heal the house first. And now the inside of the door is healed, so the outside of the door can also be healed as well. In other words, let's put it this way. The gospel flows from the inside out, not the outside in. That's how the gospel flows. You want to have a powerful presence in your life? Be alone with Jesus. I know a lot of, a lot of young, young men and young women, they want to be powerful preachers. Get alone with Jesus. Have a healthy life. Have a healthy integrity. Have a healthy marriage. Have a healthy heart. Have a healthy single life. You want, you want to be powerful? It starts from the inside and then goes out. It starts from your own house. Get your house in order and then it goes out. That's why when Paul's talking to Timothy, Paul's, uh, Paul's one of the apostles in the New Testament, writes two-thirds of the New Testament. He's talking to his mentee. He's talking to his protege. He tells him, if you want a leader, that leader better have their house in order. Because if you can't control your own children, then how are you going to control the church? He's like, get your own house ready first. And then they can be a leader to operate outwardly. The gospel flows from the inside out. Jesus calls these people fools. I, I just love when Jesus calls people fools. And so I'm going to read this scripture. Is it going to be up there for me on the screen? All right, yes, yes, yes. Now, now, you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. I love it, Jesus. You fools. That means I can say fools whenever I want. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also, but give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. He says you've got to clean the inside of the cup first. Get your house in order first. Stop, go, stop going out. Don't run a missional community if you ain't got it. Don't do it. Don't, don't serve at fun club telling everybody how to live their life. If, you, if you're not alone with God saying, God, heal me, Touch me, change me, move me. Don't grab a microphone. If you're not going to be alone with God and say, God, there's, there's stuff inside of me that, that, that you, need to, you need to take care of. Live life afraid of heights. Live life from the secret. God wants to heal your house before he heals the other houses. Now, we want to we touch all the scriptures, uh, and this is amazing to end off here. By the way, if you, if you live life from the outside in first, 
you're in danger of performance and pride. Those things which Jesus hates. If you're just trying to, to look good and you want people to like you and you want multiple people to come to your, whatever, your small group or your platform because you're amazing, that's living life from the outside in. Jesus might call you a fool. Um, verse 34, and healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out demons. Notice that's the natural and the spiritual, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him, right? Most of our theologies stop at one or the other. Most of our healing theology, meaning our healing understanding of God, most of our healing theology stops at one or the other. We either think that God is in the business of healing in the natural, he heals your body only, or we think that he only heals spiritually. And not only that, but most of our healing theology has so many stop signs that we're not experiencing what we want to experience. It's like Hoboken. You ever drive through Hoboken? Hoboken, there's so many stop signs. Why is there a stop sign every three seconds? That could be your healing theology. You can't sleep. But you think Jesus wants nothing to do with healing your sleep habits. You think, I don't know, he doesn't care about that. He's busy. He's tired. He's God. He's like Santa. He's going to be around the whole world in one night. How, how's he going to care about my sleep habits? And our, our healing theology stops right there. Some of you think he doesn't care about your depression. Some of you think he doesn't care about your relationships. Uh, look, look, your, your relationships, if you have a bad one, it's like the flu. It'll impact the whole house. It's not just going to impact you. It'll impact the whole house. But you, you don't think he cares about healing that specific relationship. Come on, church, he, he wants to heal all of it. He wants to heal the whole of you. Your, your healing theology has to get rid of all the stop signs. Today, we're going to worship and take communion. Um, and, and to like the moment where you target something is right now. The moment where you stop focusing on maybe what I'm saying or what the screens are saying or what the other person is doing in here and you start to focus on what's going on in me, that, that, that moment's right now. And let me just ask this, these questions of you. Worship team, come up, come, up, uh, come up the stairs here. Maybe it's the voices in your head that are speaking falsely against your identity. Maybe Jesus needs to heal that. Maybe it's the whispers in your ear. Why don't you close your eyes with me? Jump onto this if this is you. Maybe it is a physical ailment. For years I've struggled with uh, chronic migraines. It affects my family. It affects my work life. It affects everything that I do. I live 80% of my life with a headache. And I don't want it anymore. And I believe that Jesus is starting to heal those things. And I want more healing. Maybe it's a physical ailment. Maybe, maybe it's just, like, you can't even, you can't get from one stage in life to the next because there's, look, every, every fire has smoke, right? And that smoke is really what you're seeing. The reason you can't get, get from one phase to the next is probably because you're not ready because you have these wounds in your heart. And you think God doesn't want to heal those wounds, but you're wrong. He wants to heal that wound. The reason you can't be in a, health, in a healthy relationship is because of a wound. See, Jesus is not trying to fix you. He's trying to heal you. There's a big difference. You understand? He doesn't want to fix you. He loves you. He wants to heal you. 
So that relationship, God wants to heal that relationship. What is it? Maybe it is a father wound. Maybe it's a mother wound. Maybe it's a brother wound. Jesus wants to heal that. Don't let your healing theology stop right there. Maybe it's the way you handle money. Maybe it's your lack of faith. That's smoke. It leads to a fire. That's the reason you don't trust God. It leads to a fire. What's the fire? One more story as we, as we start to take communion. I was super defensive um, with my wife, and I did not know why. And so I asked God. I'm alone with God. I'm telling him, will you get my house in order here? And I'm not talking about the rest of the house. I'm talking about my own house, just me. And he brought me back to a moment um, when I was lost, literally physically lost as a seven-year-old. Uh, there was a search party out for me. I was gone. Some of you guys have heard this story. I was gone for uh, seven hours as a seven-year-old. And the moment I got met back, my grandmother uh, spanked me, and she basically said, never do that again. So in that moment, I logged away a wound in my heart. That wound said, it's your fault, even when it's not your fault. So you prove to grandma and you prove to the world that it's not your fault. This is how deep this stuff goes. This is when I was seven. I'm 34 now. And it's still popping up all over the place. Smoke leads to a fire. And Jesus wanted to heal that. Because he doesn't want me defensive with my wife. You see how this works? Don't let your healing theology stop. There's more, there's more room for it. God wants to heal that moment. Uh, we're going to spend time with him. You can open your eyes now. Uh, here's the moment. Uh, Johnny and Lloyd, could you guys come up here? Johnny and Lloyd are going to stand here and here. Um, we're going to do a little something different uh, with, the, with the communion. We're going to get our dippage on. Okay? We're not used to dippage. I hope the whole congregation doesn't fall apart. You're like, I don't know what to do. It's okay. Just grab a piece of bread and get your dip on. It's not a big deal. All right, it's not a chip. Don't, you know, don't get in there. Okay, just a nice dip. All right. I have a feeling I just need to explain this because we've never dipped before. Uh, so come up and, and uh, get, get the piece of bread and dip. Uh, and then we're going to sit down and, and we're going to talk to God uh, by ourselves. Why don't you guys come up now? If you've given your life to Jesus, you're welcome to take communion. Just, just be a leader. Come up and walk through as the, as the band plays.
read you Isaiah. Usually we'll read a communion text. Um, communion is really about Jesus' body and his blood being shed for us. So I'm going to read this prophecy about that moment. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened his mouth like a lamb. Opened not his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter. This was, this was on Jesus' his dime, his authority. He knew what was going to happen. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions, for our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. You know, part of your wound may be your fault. Maybe it's not. Part of it is your sin. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. You could be at peace with God, you could have peace with yourself, and peace with mankind. And with his wounds, we are healed. Target that wound this morning. Close your eyes with me. Target that wound. God wants to heal you. Why don't you take the body and the blood with me right now? God, we roll out the red carpet of vulnerability and ask that you would come in. Ask that you would invade. We trust you. We know you're sweet. We know you're kind. We know you died for this moment right here. That we could be healed. Jesus, our healer, we invite you to get our house in order. Right now, we take our eyes off everybody else's house. Forget it. We ask you to heal our house. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 